This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and you're tuned into the show that brings you closer to the people and places of our capital city. We've had multiple conversations looking at how urban spaces can be explored, understood and utilised effectively and democratically on the show. And this week we're going to continue that conversation, but this time looking at it from the perspective of an academic. The academic is Chow Lun Wai, Senior Lecturer at the Faculty of Built, Environment and Surveying University Technology Malaysia. We start the conversation by hearing his definition of urban space. Well, when we talk about space, it's actually the thing that is out there, outside of buildings, the network of uh, spaces that actually kind of tie every other components within the city together. So in cities, normally, since we talk about urban space, right, so these are related to spaces in cities. And when we start talking about cities, of course, uh, we always talk about the physical city and the social city. And the city is only meaningful and also it's a city because of people in the city. So if we take the people's component aside for a while and look at the physical aspects of cities, cities are none other than buildings, infrastructure, street systems, as well as the whole load of interconnected spaces between buildings and so on. Streets themselves are, and roadways are also spaces. So if we talk about urban spaces, I am keen to look at it as all the uh, external spaces that actually include the streets, the roads, spaces between buildings and so on, in which and through which people can actually freely roam and freely walk about, whether to move around or to stop by for stationary activities. So in short, I would think urban space is actually referring to the physical space that is in a way an antithesis to the solid part, uh, i.e. buildings and so on, that we can see clearly in the city. And urban spaces therefore play a very important role in uh, the functioning of cities in that they support movement and also they support stationary activities of the people enabling social interaction to happen. Uh, So basically they are very important generative element in the city yeah that, that's a good definition because i think uh when it comes to spaces sometimes people have this idea that you know it can only be interpreted as quote-unquote empty spaces right uh but based on your definition it sounds like it's not necessarily have to be quote-unquote empty like literal empty spaces but it can also be spaces that we use daily like for example roads and and those things right absolutely absolutely in fact, uh, I think uh, when we talk about urban spaces, it is, I think, very essential for us to have the element of society in it because that's what makes uh, space meaningful. And in particular, as you mentioned, urban space. So it must be related to the urban functions, the uh, living of people within the city, the activities of people in the city. And empty spaces, in a way, are actually can be negative for, for the city. In that, uh, you know, empty spaces are probably associated with spaces that people do not want to be in. And they, therefore, due to the lack of presence of people, can become very unsafe. And they could become an attraction to the wrong elements in the cities. Like, for example, criminals, drug addicts, and so on. And empty spaces, if uh, 
for the matter that no one basically would like to use them, then they may also become unkept and dirty. And that would be also where people may use as dump sites and so on. And I think these are quite common uh, that we can see in our cities when spaces are abandoned, are left behind, and they become exactly what they are, empty spaces. In, In relation to urban space, I think good and high quality urban spaces are those that are functional, that are meaningful, in that people use them, people associate their activities, their probably also existence with those spaces, and therefore they ascribe certain meanings to those spaces. And perhaps uh, I'm not sure whether this is too early to talk about this, but when we talk about space in cities, probably there is no way that we can avoid also talking about places in cities. So when spaces become meaningful in that people use them, people value them, then these spaces become places. And when it comes to uh, the quality of cities, actually creating people places, meaning that spaces that work very well, that are frequented by people, that are used and therefore become meaningful to people and the society. So these are actually kind of the defining characteristics of good cities. Mm, okay. Going back to what you said earlier about how spaces should be ideally utilized by the society around them, I'm curious to know, like for example, how, how would you define uh, society in this case, right? Um, must it be grassroots people or can it be utilized by quote-unquote corporations perhaps, or developers to develop these spaces into something else? That's a very good question. I think spaces should always be inclusive. So I would tend to think that they should include everyone. So individuals, uh, people who live in a city, regardless of your socioeconomic, educational, employment status, and so on. Uh, It could be, as I said, private individuals. It could be the corporate sector. I mean, just anyone who is actually in the city should be able to freely and uh, feel comfortable and safe about partaking in in the activities within those spaces. So spaces should be for all, should be inclusive. And for that to happen, of course, then the various aspects of quality, safety, convenience, ease of access, connectivity, visibility, the size, the scale of the space, activities in it itself and so on all these are actually very vital components that make spaces meaningful and attractive to people to use can you elaborate a bit on what you mean earlier by places and how spaces can be changed into places once it has become a destination for people to go to Hmm. well you mentioned the right word already destination (laughs) so Spaces are just spaces in that they are probably, I would say, carved out in urban areas by the human society positioning or placing objects in the city. So by objects, it could be as big as buildings, blocks of buildings, or anything physical you know, that we may actually position or place in a space. And there, it becomes an obstacle or a barrier in that we need to move around them. Yeah? So spaces, in a way, are carved out within the city by the positioning of uh, all these physical elements. And uh, your question is actually about spaces becoming places, right? So 
you see, when when these spaces, then are th- these are just the physical spaces in 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 themselves. So if if you see in in its most elementary form, these are carved out by the positioning of objects. And if there are no people in the spaces, then they are what they are, empty spaces. And of course, in a city, because people do move around, and then buildings are being occupied. And people need to move from one place to another, e.g., let's say, from the home to the workplace or from the workplace uh, during the midday down to the restaurant a few blocks away or just to even walk from the office in the evening hour to the bus stop or to the train stop to catch a bus or a train back home and so on. So then start, uh, you'll see people starting to use uh, and populate the spaces. So when a particular space is very well used by a good number of people and uh, you know they do not perhaps only walk through or walk past but because there are attractions there are certain activities that make it meaningful for them to even stop by and so on then the space may become a destination by itself that's the keyword that you were using earlier so when it becomes a destination it becomes meaningful to people. It is important probably to also distinguish between the idea of moving through spaces as opposed to moving to spaces. So moving through spaces are essentially spaces that we move through only in order to go from one place to another place in the city. And uh, moving to spaces, in contrast, are spaces which are destinations in that we move to them meaning that there must be something there of a purpose, of a meaning, so that people would like to relate that particular space as somewhere they would like to go to. And when that happens, we can consider that become uh, that the space has become a place. And I mean, literally, in language as well, it's quite interesting. We normally do not say, I would like to go to a space, right? If we say to, we, we normally say, I would like to go to a place, so in a way, place, in, in my view, as a word in English itself, it inherently already kind of embraces the meaning of place itself as a destination, as somewhere that people would like to go to. And when we start talking about people going to a particular place, then there must be something there of a, a meaning, of a purpose. You know, there must be some benefit that could be gained in being there. And that's why people go to that particular space and it becomes a place. So maybe also at this stage, it is good to bring up a a very interesting concept that was proposed uh, quite some time ago by a very famous uh, Danish architect, Professor Jan Gell. That's uh, J-A-N-G-E-H-L. He actually kind of uh, gave us a very good framework to think about uh, different types of activities in the city. So he, in a way, classifies activities in the cities into three fundamental categories. One is actually what we may term as necessary activities. And the second one is optional activities. And the third one as social activities. So in a way, this is called the NOS framework. N for necessary, O for optional, and S for social. And this is no rocket science. Uh, Please bear with me. I'll just take a bit of time to explain what these are. Necessary activities refer to those activities that, as the word necessary uh, indicates, activities that must be done or carried out by people because of uh, they themselves live, work, 
play or doing any kind of uh, function or purpose in the city. Examples could be like uh, a walk to the bus stop, a walk to the LRT stop, or a walk to somewhere, which means that it is something that is necessary, like going to school, going to work every day. These are all considered necessary activities. So necessary activities, the character, the characteristic is that these will happen regardless of the quality of space or place. This will happen because they need to carry out the activity in the city. Now, in contrast, when we start talking about optional activity, the O category, uh, as the word optional indicates as well, these are activities that are carried out by choice of the people, meaning that they choose to be there. They choose to do something. Because if people choose to be in a space or choose a particular route to walk through instead of another route to go somewhere, then there must be something that actually influence their choice. So what is that thing that influenced their choice in that I prefer this space or this route over the other space or the other route? There must be some purpose or some quality elements, you know, something that uh, make the space that is of my choice to be superior to the other spaces. So meaning that for optional activities to happen in space, the space itself must have certain degree of quality, e.g. safety, comfort, convenience, you know, visual interest, aesthetics, or certain purposes uh, which make it meaningful for me to either pass through or to even stop by there. So optional activities are the second category and they could be also static activities in that people choose to stop by, to stand there, to sit around if there are proper sittings or convenient sitting areas and so on because the space is comfortable for them to do so. It offers the comfort and so on. And lastly, social activity at the S category refers to the kind of byproduct of uh, you know the availability of necessary and optional activities so for good places to actually materialize the quality of the space is actually very very important in that you do not only have a good level of necessary activities which will happen anyway but on top of that people choose to probably stop by you know to walk by more slowly because there are interesting things to look at. There are certain activities or purposes that they are able to fulfill being in that space and so on. So from space to become a place, uh, you need that kind of quality and these three types of activities to happen. And so when you've got sufficient level of necessary and optional activities and social activities will just you know, happen as a result of that, in that people may just start interacting, talking to each other, or, uh, you know, people looking at each other and so on. So these are the key elements, I think, in how the society itself cannot be separated from the physical space. So when we look at cities, therefore, a city must actually at the same time comprise these two key components the physical city itself and the, the social city and it's uh, in a way the two components actually co-evolve in that one fit back into the other and the, and then for example you know society in a way creates space by the way they uh, position objects in space so they carve out spaces within the city and then the way the spaces have been carved out have been shaped by human activities of building constructing cities and so on will in turn you know kind of set certain level of limits and possibility on where people can go to can uh, go through and so on so you, you, you know the two at the risk of sounding rather theoretical but these are very fundamental elements of 
how spaces could function and how uh, spaces you know, through the existence or presence of people and a good level of activity, then become places. I've been speaking to Chow Lun Wai, Senior Lecturer at the Faculty of Built, Environment and Surveying University Technology Malaysia. And we've been looking at urban spaces and its relationship with the city and its people. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin. We're looking at urban spaces in the city and how we, the people, can think of utilizing them more effectively. Joining me to break this down is Chow Lun Wai, Senior Lecturer at the Faculty of Built, Environment and Surveying University Technology Malaysia. Now, some people believe that urban spaces should be left on their own to allow for organic utilization and growth driven by the people. For example, the setting up of stalls in an alleyway compared to beautification or gentrification projects that can be a bit top-down sometimes in its approach. What's Chow Lun Wai's take on this? Hmm. I think this is, uh, again, a, a very, very good pertinent question in relation to the functioning of urban spaces in cities. But first and foremost, if I may, just to clarify something, yes? I mean, if we are really talking about leaving spaces so that they remain empty, in my humble view, that is a no-no. Yeah. But by leaving it empty, if the meaning is, if I read what you were saying correctly or what the other person was saying correctly, if, if by leaving it empty, his or her meaning is that uh, you know we do not kind of do a top-down kind of uh, ruling or, or planning or design that actually kind of make the space function more formally for following certain formal rules and so on. But to leave it so that you know people has will, will be given the free will, if you like, to use the space as per their needs and so on uh, in a rather organic manner or informally, uh, I think that is good. So I think... I personally do not agree if we have uh, spaces that are left empty in the cities because empty spaces, and if they are not used, they are abandoned and so on, they tend to become bad spaces later. You know, negative spaces, as I mentioned earlier, that attracted you know, the wrong type of activities, uh, the bad elements and so on. And because it's in cities, uh, spaces normally are quite limited in cities. So they are, in a way, a commodity uh, uh, with premium value and so on. So to leave spaces empty, I would look at it as a wastage in a way. So all spaces within the city, in my view, should be appropriated and utilized appropriately according to how the spaces are related or embedded within the urban area. Of course, you know, we, we cannot kind of activate or animate or populate all spaces equally. And spaces in the way, they are actually connected or interconnected in the city are actually unequal in a way. So you mentioned, for example, back alley as opposed to the main street. Even the main street or the main road, you could have cross streets and then, you know, the, the kind of second layer street and third layer street and so on. If you are looking at an urban area, you know, a street layout, if you could imagine what I'm talking about. So the main street and the second layer street, you know, the parallel street, but the second layer from the main street or even the third layer street, 
these all have different degree of uh, potentiality to attract movement, to attract people, activities, and so on. So we, we can't have a kind of so-called, you know, equally distribute activities within the city. Now, however, if we look at people's activities in a city, and again, we can just crudely categorize them, let's say, into two, one in formal activities, one into the informal or the more organic category. I think we need both, actually. We need both. But we need to kind of understand where should each of these two categories of activities uh, happen uh, appropriately. And I, I would still go back to uh, the very fundamental understanding about spaces. Spaces are used when, I think, they are accessible, they are well-connected. And people will, in a way, in inverted commas, naturally move through them because the space, for example, is strategically located and therefore they are well-connected to all other spaces within the city. So they become the spaces that are very efficient for people to move through. You know, so when people move through these spaces in a way of necessary activities, when there are people, uh, then the street would attract activities to be there. In particular, you know, commercial, retail type of activities that rely on pedestrian footfall to function. So this would be, for example, restaurants, uh, cafes, uh, even convenience stores, shopping, retail, and all this. So now when these activities are there, then they make the street more interesting in that there are activities and people will feel safer as well with these activities uh, going on. And this then in turn will attract even more people to the space. So that is how, in a way, space become generative, if you like. Uh, they are not simply passive container of activities and people. In the way spaces are laid out in the city, are interconnected, yeah? Some spaces are better connected compared to other spaces. Some spaces are more strategically related to all other spaces compared to other spaces. So these are the spaces that attract more activities naturally, quite naturally, yeah, without you know, any external agency having to put a rule in forcing people to go through there and so on. When this happens, then they will attract more people. And then the more, the more the people are there, the safer the spaces become, the more lively, vibrant they become and so on. So they will attract even more other activities and it goes on like that. Of course, up to a limit in, you know, in terms of the capacity of the space. And when there is some degree of overcrowdedness, so I think you know, quite automatically people may shun away from there and so on. So in a way, activities and the processes of generating activities in the city it happens quite, again, inverted common naturally in that sense. Now, when activities happen without uh, a lot of, uh, I would say, control or regulation, you know, from the, you know, the top-down process, then those activities can be considered as uh, rather informal. And I, I think for a good place to be created out of spaces, we need to have a good mix and balance between both the formal and informal activities. And coming back to the back lanes and back alleys, I personally do notice that it be kind of becomes a fashion, a trend for cities these days to so-called bring activities to the back alley or to the back lanes. And this probably has something to do with what happened back in Georgetown, Penang a few years ago when the street artists started you know, putting up all these uh, 
very good interactive artistic elements uh, you know on the walls of buildings in the back alleys and so on and it became so successful in Penang that uh, not only in Malaysian cities, uh, many cities around the world are also kind of uh, copying all this. But we have to be careful when we try to actually bring activities to the back alley and back lanes. Now, in my view, it's not only about animating back alleys or back lanes. In fact, just about treating any urban spaces in the city. If we have an empty space and we try to animate them or try to introduce activities into them, I think we have to always be very careful and more so with back alleys. The, the, the thing is this, back alleys, uh, as the name suggests, you see, is I would say perhaps the secondary or tertiary choice in terms of space use compared to the main streets, which uh, should be more attractive and interesting to people. So if we do not have a very good critical mass of uh, people in the main street, if, for example, we do not have a good movement density along the main street, and then we try to animate or to bring activities to the back alley and back street, most of the time, I would not say all the time, but most of the time, that could be a wrong decision. When we start a new project in the back alley and so on, out of interest, out of something which is novel and so on, it may work for a while in that you know people are curious or feel interested and they may frequent the area for a while. But if the space is actually not very well connected or integrated you know, with the other activities in the cities, chances are that they may fail in the longer term because human beings, I think, are a very energy-conscious creature, if you like. If it takes us a lot of additional extra efforts yeah, to get to a particular space, we wouldn't want to do it frequently and we wouldn't want to do it, you know, even, you know, more than a time, more than two times and so on. So back alleys, we need to understand the very reason behind why are they not functioning well? Why are they not used in the first place? And the same goes with any empty spaces. Before really making a decision to intervene, to introduce any activities in there, I think among the first questions we need to ask would be to understand first, why are there no activities in this space? So if we understand the reasoning or the causes behind the absence of activities, the absence of people, then we know better how to intervene and how to actually overcome the issue. So a lot of mistakes have been made, not only in Malaysian cities and in a lot of cities around the world, is that we, the town planner, the designer or the developer may come along and say, ah, oh, this is an empty space, you know, or the, the city government official. So we think that having people in there, having activities would make the space more meaningful and interesting. So therefore, let's try to bring people in. But you see, without a good understanding about the functioning of the space, then whatever you introduce in there, as said, in the short term, may start attracting people, curiosity, interest, and so on again. But it wouldn't sustain itself. So in the long run, it returns to its uh, original state of being an empty space and the investment, the infrastructure that we put in become uh, a waste of uh, public money. So back to back alley, I would strongly urge that uh, any parties who are thinking about enlivening you know, uh, adding vibrancy to back alleys. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's a good intention. But please, to do study and get a more in-depth understanding about how that 
back alley or the series of back alleys are connected to the bigger city, especially uh, how they are actually interconnected and well connected to the uh, current or existing activity centers, the main streets and so on, so that you know, we are able to make it easy for people to either pass through or to get to the space. So as I said earlier, if the critical mass is already there on the main street, then the back alley may actually have a better chance of being animated because there are people just nearby. But if the main street is at, at normal times already, you know, kind of uh, experience even a, a lack of uh, pedestrian footfall, human activities and so on, it may really become a mistake to try to animate the back alleys. So that's how I would uh, kind of look at the issue. And in animating any spaces, I think it is always good to involve the people and the community so that they have a say in uh, influencing how the whole process needs to be done. So I would say I'm in support of both the formal top-down way of looking at it, you know, providing a good framework and uh, how we are able to animate different spaces within the city. But when it comes to doing it, it is important to also have that bottom-up process of allowing the society, the community to come together and shape the spaces according to their needs. All right. So speaking of um, letting the people interpret um, these spaces, uh, do you think that different age groups interpret urban spaces differently? And if that's the case, why and what's the difference in terms of the interpretation usually? I think different groups of users would actually place different demands on spaces, I would say. So your question is correct. I mean, um, at the risk of uh, overgeneralization, but I think we understand that, for example, uh, able-bodied young people, energetic people, and so on, may want to use spaces uh, more actively compared to the elderly, who may prefer to have uh, more relaxing, calming, you know, quiet type of spaces. And then, you know, apart from the so-called young ones and the elderly, there are also other groups of people. I mean young children as uh, compared to adolescents or uh, you know even among men versus women we may have uh, different levels of needs and also demands on spaces in the city so it is important to actually understand how different groups of people actually look at cities and what do they actually need and want perhaps from the spaces then only we are able to uh, more appropriately plan, design uh, activities within the spaces to fulfill the needs of the people. And I do think that uh, sometimes categorizing can be quite risky as well in that we may have the tendency of separating you know, different categories, kind of creating different spaces for different categories of people. I wouldn't say that's completely wrong, but... It is increasingly, I think, uh, as a matter of understanding, it is increasingly understood that uh, spaces work better, places work better when they are inclusive, in that uh, they are able to bring different groups of people together, there for different purposes, perhaps, or even at different times of the day, or even perhaps at the same time, you see. So the whole interaction, social interaction between different groups 
within the same groups and, and all this could happen. And these are actually raw ingredients, if you like, of uh, so-called liveliness, vibrancy, and so on. So to be inclusive is very important. And in the process of being inclusive, of course, we have to be mindful about, again, the different needs of these different groups. So the elderly may require, for example, as said earlier, spaces that are safe compared to uh, adolescents. Safety may not be the top priority for them. It could be about uh, you know, spaces that are challenging, that are exciting and all this. I mean, safety, of course, is still important, but to adolescents, you know, it may not be their top priority. But for the elderly, for women, for example, safety can be a very top priority. And then for the elderly specifically, uh, you, you know, quiet spaces and all this, where they are able to sit down to meet uh, their friends and so on, to talk about things, talk about old times and all this. So the, the needs are definitely different. So when we are trying to integrate these different uh, groups of people within the same space, so therefore we need to also consider how the interface can be actually appropriately done. And it's probably difficult to talk about all this verbally like this, uh, except you see when we really sit down, put a plan or a map in front of us and work on a specific space. And we can you know, kind of think about really the design in how to actually better integrate these groups. And probably also it is important to mention why it is uh, good to have uh, better integration among different groups of people because of the type of social learning, incidental learning that may uh, result from that. So, I mean, there are many studies also being carried out around the world that shows that, uh, you see, adolescents and young people could be a big help to the elderly, especially when it comes to technological savviness and all these things. But at the same time, the elderly could be a very good source of inspiration, wisdom, and knowledge to the younger people. So in categorizing uh, this, I mean, our society, let's say into the young ones and the elderly, if we simply do that and think that, ah, they have different needs and some of these needs are, you know, in a way conflicting. Sometimes, you know, the research have shown that the elderly may think a group of young people can be quite threatening, for example, you know, that kind of thing. So sometimes there are some conflicting needs in there as well. But if we simply stop there and say, therefore, we should separate them, then that could also be a big mistake, you see. But in integrating them, then we need to work around, put in efforts in how to kind of, the word that you use, I think, perfectly, reconcile, yeah? And to kind of, uh, to make sure that the interface is actually well done to enable the two groups of people, you see, to have the opportunity to be in co-presence of each other. And, you know, they could actually uh, help each other in a way. I think the elderly also enjoys looking at uh, young children playing and they feel safer when there are also people around and so on. So I would think that uh, we need to create more inclusive spaces and places in cities. We haven't got enough of this actually in Malaysian cities. So the more we do it, I would say the better. Mm. All right. Um, and when it comes to utilizing spaces, especially these days, I think we need to also be mindful of making it more sustainable, right? Especially with regard to, I guess, the way we utilize it, you know. Um, so what's the best way to go about utilizing these spaces in a more sustainable way? Well... I think you said it all. This, this actually, in a way, is very important and it should be the bottom line of all cities in, 
in their effort to create good places and spaces in cities. I would say external spaces in the city actually plays a very important role in enhancing sustainability in cities. And also uh, in relation to our, I mean, tackling climate change, I would say, you see, if we have high quality spaces and places outdoor, there are more chances that we are able to attract people to stay outdoor more than indoor. So when people stay outdoor more, therefore indoor energy use, i.e. for cooling, for lighting and so on, would have been reduced, you see. And if they stay outdoor more, it's also good for the people in that it, it should be healthier, right? More active uh, and so on. And in the presence of other people, I think mentally as well, we could become healthier. So if you look at it, whether you would like to look at it, uh, I mean, sustainability in economic terms, social terms or environmental terms, actually in the city where most of our population will be residing in plays a very important role. So that when you have got good quality spaces and places in cities, if more people are attracted outdoor, then there is better interaction. And therefore, in terms of social sustainability, it could become better. And as mentioned earlier, if the society become healthier by way of, uh, you know, mentally healthier because of more interaction with other people or by way of bodily and physically become healthier as well because of more active engagement in the outdoor and so on, then, you know, these are all part and parcel of social sustainability. And in terms of environmental sustainability, probably also in relation to tackling climate change, as said earlier as well. Uh, if we stay outdoor more due to higher quality environments and out there that are, that are safe, that are comfortable, that are lively and attractive, then we use the indoor less, so we consume energy less in the building sector. And in big cities, the building sector actually is normally the biggest uh, consumer of energy and also the biggest emitter of greenhouse gases, if, if you like. So... The external spaces and places in cities, therefore, can contribute a lot to uh, urban sustainability and to also tackling climate change in the city. And so that contributes to the environmental sustainability aspect of it. And also good quality spaces and places, if by way of uh, design, they provide a conducive environment for people in, in terms of temperature, humidity and so on. So we plant more trees, we introduce uh, water elements and so on that cools down, for example, the uh, ambient temperature outdoor. That will also have, to some degree, positive influence in the cooling demand of, of the indoor spaces. So even if we need to stay indoor and we need to cool down the spaces indoor, so the cooling demand is reduced due to uh, better designed and cooler exterior environments, you see. So in a way, it, it is beneficial to actually have very well planned and designed and high quality spaces and places in the city precisely because in the way these spaces and places enable and encourage healthier lifestyle among the people. So this will contribute to improving social sustainability, environmental sustainability. And at the end of the day, uh, putting these two together, all this could contribute to better economic sustainability as well. Uh, a simple way to look at it would be healthier people would mean less downtime in terms of human resource, for example.
so the economic productivity of cities could be increased. And also better environments outdoor could also encourage more people to walk to cycle, to take public transport instead of driving the car. So then and again, that may contribute to uh, some level of reduction in traffic congestion. And traffic congestion has been known to be very costly in economic terms to cities. So again, you can see how actually urban spaces and places could actually uh, have all these extended benefits, yeah, even in economic terms, apart from the social and environmental terms that I mentioned earlier, to the city. And I would say any wise city mayor, governors, city managers would actually invest more in improving uh, the external urban spaces as well as places. Because in the short run, you could see the effect immediately. You know, people enjoy using the outdoor, then the spaces become, or the whole city become uh, more lively, uh, happier people, healthier people, and so on. So that's what, these are actually the basic ingredients of uh, what we call good cities, see? Then in the longer run, all this uh, will actually, you know, in a way of a benign cycle, you know, good attracts more good, attracts more good, and so on. So it will actually help to increase the sustainability of cities uh, in a holistic way, in that, you know, it happens socially, environmentally, as well as economically. So that's how we'll look at it. Thank you. You've been tuning in to I Love KL and I've been speaking to Chow Lunwai, Senior Lecturer at the Faculty of Built, Environment and Surveying University Technology Malaysia about urban spaces and how they can be understood and utilised better by the public. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl. Our app you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Join us again next time only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.